I'm Joseph. And I'm Nick. And this is Fish Jelly. Yeah, sure is. Welcome back. <laughs> we missed last week. Where what ha- what had happened? Ugh. The the tragedy of it all. <laughs> mm-hmm. We had a rough week. We did. Which I don't think is appropriate to talk about. No. Yeah. But we're fine. Uh-huh. No one died. No. Well, something died. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> no. It was just a rough week. And then it felt kind of like by, I feel like Monday's appropriate to release, like Sundays have been the recording, the recording and when I will post it, Monday seemed like a fair extension, but after Monday, it seems like let's just, yeah, we just get an F for that week because (laughs) if I were a school teacher, I'd be like, girl, don't even bother. Just take the L and move on. Yep. Which is what we did. Which is what we did. But here we are, uh, another week. More drag race. Lots and lots and lots of Let's drag just get that out of the way. Okay, so RuPaul's Drag Race Season 14. Yeah. We uh, caught up on Episodes 4 and 5. Mm-hmm. Do you recall what Episode 4 was? No. That was the She's a Super Tease. So they got the, the queens got split into two groups. Uh-huh. And they each had to make like a teaser trailer. Okay. But yeah, sort yeah. of like with an, a heightened version of themselves. I thought they were funny. That's right. That's the one where Alyssa Hunter went home. Yes. I thought they were funny. And um, uh, who won that one? Angeria won. Angeria. But Willow was also good too. Yes. So uh, I thought both groups made a fun... There were a lot of funny moments. Yeah. And I also recall like in Deja... What's, is her name Deja Sky? Yes. I thought she was funny. She had the line about, I was born at a really young age. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And that she couldn't walk for the first two years of her life. And then she dressed up as that cow. And I think they really underrated her performance. I think they did as well. But Angeria... Was uh, excellent. She was really funny. Mm -hmm. She made the word ugly like a four-syllable word. You ugly bitch. You ugly bitch. (laughs) Uh, And then the runway was... The runway theme was Night of a Thousand J-Lo's. Jennifer Lopez's. Which I thought was interesting because I don't think J-Lo is known for her iconic looks. I think she's known for being very sexy. Yes. But there are only a couple of garments that stick out in my head. Yes, but she does have the garment that was the reason for Google Images. So it's right. like... So you know. yes, it, like it's interesting because her that green Versace dress in the 90s changed like pop culture. Yeah. But I don't know that I think... I think of her as having a very particular style, like very like form fitting, high slits. Throwing on her Louboutins. Yeah, like definitely loves her Louboutins and Mm. loves showing her ass and her hair is always kind of the same. Yeah, but but, but always beautiful. But yes, and always beautiful. So uh, the queens, the references they chose, it wasn't very, it's not like choosing Madonna who has like, Kimono, um, kimono, you better don't. Kimono, you better don't. Like someone like Madonna, that made sense because she has a million references. Yes. So yeah, there were only like two that I recognized. Sure. I mean, I'm just not ever paying that much attention to fashion, as Iman says. But, but... a standout for that was Carrie Colby. She actually wore mm-hmm. the Versace dress J Lo wore. Um, in like 2018, I believe, or 2017. I thought it was 20. Oh. Was it 20? Whatever. When J Lo. Maybe 2018's right. When J Lo walked Versace again wearing like a replica of the dress, mm-hmm. Carrie Colby was 
she actually got a hold of that dress. Yeah. Which I found out On was loan. like um, one of the Gettys yeah. owns the dress, that like as part of their archive, and they lent it to her. Unfortunately, Carrie Colby ended up in the bottom with Alyssa Hunter, and she even says, like, I can't ruin this dress. Right. So you can tell that she's not performing in a way she'd like to because she's afraid of ruining the dress. And still beat Alyssa Hunter. Alyssa Hunter, poor thing, was just dull. I didn't care for her. I I, I thought she thought she was doing a lot. And mm-hmm. it's like, well, you're like a pretty drag queen, but her and the challenge was very one note. Yep. So I'm not mad at her being the next to go. Episode five, the theme was Save a Queen. So Rue brought back three queens from previous seasons who were the first to be eliminated. Mm-hmm. So Tempest Du Jour. James Mansfield. James Mansfield. And, uh... Who was the third one? Oh, God. Oh, <laughs> Kamora Hall. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Who loves her Bob Fosse. Not or Bob, Bob Fosse. Fosse. Bob, uh, Bob Back, yeah. <laughs> but they split the remaining queens into three groups, and each of them had to make a PSA supporting each of these queens. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought they all did, like, there were a lot of funny moments. Mm-hmm. The winner of the challenge was Bosco. I thought she was really funny in the challenge and she looked great in the runway Mm -hmm. because the runway theme was spring has sprung and Bosco came out wearing like a cloud Mm -hmm. fashioned like a mini dress and then did a reveal where it like unrolled into like this lovely yellow gown that felt like spring and then her fucking head looked her entire look was beautiful but her face and her her hair was perfect. Mm-hmm. She has that particular way she does her makeup with the eyebrows that look like cursive writing mm-hmm. that I thought just looked so perfect. Well deserved. And Jiria also did a really great job. She was in the top as well. It's just her dress. The top of her dress didn't fit. Yeah, she just had an ill-fitting dress. In the bottom were Georges and Orion's story. Georges seems like a really sweet kid. Yeah. He's very talented as a performer. But I think he doesn't... He seems like one of those people who doesn't have a lot to say. Like, he doesn't have a POV, so it's hard for him to express himself. Yes. So I think... Be- he... Beyond just being pretty. Yeah. Right. And Which then... is a lot of people's problems. Well, yeah, tell me about it. Mm-hmm. No. <laughs> I, don't, I, I don't know how I overcame it, but oh. anyway. <laughs> and then Orion's story. He's been flat from the beginning. And, you know, for the entire... For the first four episodes... For all five episodes he's been on, I kept saying he reminds me of someone. And then it hit me. He reminds me of a combination of Carmen Carrera and Fran Drescher. Okay. But with... Well, Carmen Carrera has no personality. No. So I think that's... He borrows that from her. I wish he would have Fran Drescher's personality. But yeah, he was super flat. But sweet. And then this lip sync, to me, was on the level of when Kamora Hall had to lip sync against Denali. Oh, where Denali did. It was just curtains for you, bitch. 100% pure love. Yeah. yeah. George's. Oh, yeah. Was like, I mean, I would love to see George's lip sync against Denali. Mm-hmm. Because that little bitch wore her out. Mm-hmm. It was kind of embarrassing even watching Orion try. But she did. She and, did. And you're not supposed to give up. So good for her. But they sent her ass packing. And of course, neither of the queens who were eliminated, Alyssa Hunter nor Orion Story, had the golden chocolate bar oh i i keep forgetting that. i keep forgetting about that too I, I i do think it's a cute uh gag the drag gods yeah the drag gods the drag if there were drag gods they wouldn't be eating chocolate oh, 
Yeah, they'd be eating Tic Tacs. Yeah, or something. So you know, just same. okay. Moving on. So there's a new show from World of Wonder called RuPaul's Drag Crate. Drag. Drag craze. Drag craze. RuPaul's Drag Race UK versus the world. Which, why is it called that? I don't know. Because one of the, uh, Juju B, who's one of the contestants, made a funny thing about, or made a funny comment about basically like colonizers. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I think the title's horrible. Also, the title makes it seem like it's going to be this grand epic thing. Mm -hmm. But we watched episode one, and that shit felt real bargain bin it did it the did. opening was like what 10 minutes mm-hmm. of like the queens being introduced that felt so low budget and what? so uninspired there are nine queens then so the premise is there are three uk queens competing against queens from other franchises but uh, but as individuals too but so as individuals so i don't understand why they're calling it uk versus the world no and there's like one from holland and one from well, here let's name them oh so the three from the uk are bag of chips mm-hmm. much better much blue, better blue hydrangea mm-hmm. who i don't really remember anything of her except she looked really young i remember you saying she was cute I thought she was the cutest of the group oh okay but that's like being the smartest kardashian okay and then cheryl hole who to me Remind, reminded me of like if Jan were like a like a decent person, like not a robot. Oh yeah, yeah. No, Cheryl does have a nice person because Cheryl is also very talented as a dancer and, seems and a singer, but and she seems sweet. Yeah. So I did like. But Cheryl reminds Hall. me. Well, I guess I shouldn't say. I thought she looked like she could be cousins with Michael Henry. Oh well, I mean, you know. <laughs> The truth is the truth, people. Uh, and then Cheryl Hull on one ep- on one episode of UK's Drag Race got to meet Cheryl Cole, who's his namesake. Oh yes, that's right. I thought that was a really sweet episode because mm-hmm. very few of all the hundreds of episodes, you know, it's, it's rare we get to see a queen meet like their real idol. Like because Lady Gaga, La- I want to call her Lady Gaga. Lady Gaga doesn't count. Lady Gaga. Uh, uh, Widow Von Du and like Widow Von Du getting to meet Shaka Khan. Yeah, I was emotional about that. I think seeing Cheryl Hole meet Cheryl Cole. Mm-hmm. But, you know, there have been a few moments. Uh, somebody meeting. Oh, Emma the the two spirit um, contestant on Canada's Drag Race meeting that one singer who was he it, had her tattoo on his neck. Was it Ali X? I think that's it. Okay, uh, he, which Ali X actually has. If you've never heard her music, has uh, some really great tracks yeah there have been some moments so i remember cheryl hole for that okay the remaining six contestants are Janie jackay Janie jackay from holland mm-hmm. jimbo from canada juju b from everything oh, uh monique hart who did change her name to mo hart oh girl okay because she says she's trying to change evolve her brand and she thinks she's more everything so it was more appropriate to just be called mo so a nickname just say it's your nickname I don't know. Whatever. But I, I do like Monique Hart, so now I guess... I do too, Monique. but at this point it feels like she's trying really hard. She, but, you know, I guess if that were my, you know, path, I guess I would do everything I could. Next is Pangina Heels, who was a guest... She was like a, like a judge on Drag Race Thailand, mm-hmm. so she never actually competed. She was just a judge. And then Lemon from Canada's Drag Race. Mm-hmm. Uh, their first challenge was, um, I don't even remember. What was their, oh, a talent show. So, As usual, which... Which I wasn't impressed by any of them. 
<sighs> the winner was Pangina. Oh, I, you were impressed. I thought you liked Jimbo's. Oh, Jimbo. Yes, Jimbo did this really weird sort of avant-garde. Like he comes out looking like he's pregnant. A pregnant alien. And he's holding a briefcase labeled talent. Mm -hmm. And then he opens the briefcase and there's no talent. Mm -hmm. And then he like shits out like a slab of cold cuts Mm -hmm. and then starts flipping the cold cuts in the air and they stick to him. And that's his talent. Mm -hmm. And I thought that was so subversive. So, um, like literally you can throw shit and that, and people will applaud. applaud. I thought it was very smart. And, um, I, I think that that, was deserving of him being in the top for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, and then fucking Lemon and Janie Jacquet end up in the bottom. Janie did a lip sync to a song where the lyrics were imperceptible and she seemed very flat. No, Lemon. No, Janie. Remember she does that like strip tease where she oh. keeps taking off stuff and then she's lip syncing words but you can't hear the words. Oh, okay. Like the song was quiet. Oh, it was just a really weird song to lip sync to. Mm-hmm. And then Lemon performed a song she wrote Mm -hmm. and i think she also seemed flat although i feel like the fact that she did an original song seemed like she didn't deserve to be in the bottom there was somebody much worse i thought oh jujubee i thought jujubee keeps singing why does she keep singing stop that please this is the fourth time now we have to hear her sing and she is not good but Lemon gets sent I mean, home. she's not, I mean, she's not like terrible, but is, is it your talent? I don't know. Ugh. My yeah, poor learn, Lemon got sent home. Learn some card tricks if I were you, but. Anyway, that's Drag Race for now. What did I want to say about that? Oh, you know, I, I, I love the fact that there's this, you know, 60 year old gay black man who dresses in drag and has become sort of like a. I mean, he's part of the zeitgeist and has like oh, for sure. a very yeah. popular franchise and I hope he's making his money and you know he is and I know he's fracking, but whatever. I, I think what he represents is really meaningful, but I'm just afraid the quality of all this shit is, go- you know, Australia was terrible. Australia was bad. Yeah. Italy was terrible. Spain was questionable in my mind. And then I think like this UK versus the world shit. I mean, I hope it picks up. I don't, you know, he's the- wearing, he's, he's. Spreading himself very thin. He is, and the U.S. thing, the U.S. seasons are hit or miss because the one with uh, the season with Simone, though I like Simone, I I really didn't like most of those. I and it, I don't like when you can see kind of the gears of production so yes. plainly. Yes. Uh, I I think that I like this current season more uh, when everybody seems a bit more affable. But yeah, I don't know. It's just it's a lot. It's a lot. But moving on, so you covered. Sundance and Rotterdam in the time we've been away. Uh huh. So you yeah, Rotterdam up, just ended this weekend. So you came up with a top five for Sundance. Do you want to go through those? Sure. Go ahead. Uh, I gotta look at my email. First is Call Jane. The oh, James. like my number one, I think was you know the new Sigourney Weaver movie, which I saw twice, and you watched that once with me. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we I made think a video about it. We did. We reviewed it, and I also wrote a review uh, at Ion Cinema for it. It just got picked up by Roadside Attractions this week, so that's good. Somebody better mount an Oscar campaign for her. Uh, Somebody better. Uh, but I think I I uh, tied that with the documentary The Janes because I think I felt in between watching Call Jane twice, I watched the documentary, which I think. Uh, filled in a lot of holes that the uh, fictionalized true story did not. Um, so yeah, what do I have? Uh, number two, uh, Resurrection, 
Directed by Andrew Siemens. What a weird, bizarre movie with an excellent lead performance from Rebecca Hall uh, and Tim Roth in this creepy, weird performance. I have uh, to look up who Rebecca Hall is. Really? Let me see here. <laughs> she was my. She directed my number two. Oh, is she year. in that movie about the house? Yeah, the night house, and she directed Passing. Oh, that's her. That's Rebecca Hall. Yeah. That lady directed Passing? Yeah, she's got... Uh, which was my original thought when she announced the project, but when it premiered at Sundance in 2021, she said that she was exploring um, her own... Uh, Ethnic background? Mixed race heritage. Let me yeah. see. Let me look up her parents. Hold on. Uh, anyhow. I, oh, her mom does look brown. She's got some brownness in her. I don't know, but... Uh, oh, don't we all? Don't we all? <laughs> oh, God. Anyway, she gives this fantastic performance and this really weird movie that has some excellent dialogue somebody compared it to Zulowski which it doesn't I don't know if it's that ape shit uh but very interesting film uh that I would watch again and I hope we review uh the next film uh, number three I have is Emergency directed by Carrie Williams which you did watch with me Emergency yeah with those two uh the black guys yeah in those young, young men in college oh who was the one I really liked the, I need to say his name. Okay, I don't know the actor's name, and I have to look it up. Okay, we'll continue, and I'll look it up. Um, just these two, uh, the, these two black kids at this college, and there's uh, some big party night going on where there's at the different frat houses. There's five different parties, and there's been no uh, black student that's been able to hit all five in one night, and they want this to be their distinction. One of them is very smart. The one that's driving this endeavor is, is not. And as they begin their evening, they found they find a young, a, a teenage white girl passed, drunk and passed out in their house. And by trying to do the right thing, they ostensibly put themselves in danger. Uh, and it just, it starts off as kind of this, you know, a, a typical zany college comedy and then becomes kind of really dark and strenuous and then a really touching and poignant story about friendship um and i don't i mean i was in tears by the end of it but uh yeah i think the actor's name is rj seiler he's one of the him yep that's him mm -hmm. yes i was which, so impressed which i've by seen him. him in something else i think too he's in something called uh me and earl and the dying girl oh that one Sundance. power rangers the harder they fall Oh, the harder they fall, I just saw him in, yeah. And Scream Resurrection. I've never seen this gentleman before, but I just thought he was so. I just thought he was so magnetic on screen. Like, he was, and he was. I, me and Earl and the Dying Girl. I remember hating that movie, but um, yeah, it, Emergency was very. Yeah, I hope he gets uh, more shine because he just had such a nice um, presence on screen. I know you were emotional, uh, especially because one of the characters who's supposed to be kind of like white, the, the other black male, his best friend is supposed to seem whitewashed. Yeah. And then he gets he gets the black man in America against the police experience for the mm -hmm. first time and has sort of a breakthrough in understanding that like... He's not exempt. He's not exempt. And, um, and, and that his friend really was looking out for him. And yeah, I... They just have a really nice kind of... Um, final scene in the in the denouement uh where they come back together and it's very emotional and moving on another movie called you won't be alone yes uh which is i think it's the direct it's set in macedonia directed by goran stolevsky but stars like a, a lot of really notable people like numi rapace um 
the Romanian actress Anna Maria Marinka, Alice Englert, who of course is the daughter of Jane Campion. Uh, and I was hoping we'd have time to watch it, but it comes out in April, so I'm sure we'll, I'll get a screener for us to review it then. But what a strange and beautiful movie. It's about a witch that steal, that takes this woman's baby. This woman owes her something um, in, in the 19th century Macedonia and then does all this body switching and really experiences what it's like to be human through very gendered prisms uh like because this witch inhabits the body of uh women of different ages and men and and experiencing sexuality and i don't know by the end of it i found myself really moved uh in in ways that you would not expect especially from where it begins and i I don't know i was just very impressed by that and it's set in macedonia and it's narrated by uh the the ba- the child that this witch steals. Uh, so none of these actors that don't speak the native language are actually speaking, which I thought was a really inventive way to have this fantastic cast in this strange international co-production. Excuse me while I pop a can of soda. Got a cold pop. I got a cold pop. Uh, All right. And the, finally, honk for Jesus, save your soul. Um, so, you know, I really like... Uh, Jesus? No, not at all. In Jesus. Fact, You've liked some Jesuses. I'd like some Jesuses, but they're not affiliated with that pie in the sky. Uh, <laughs> uh, pie in the sky. <laughs> uh, you know, I'm a big fan of uh, Regina Hall. And she had two movies at Sundance this year, both of which I saw. Uh, Master was interesting, uh, but it had a supernatural element I really didn't feel like it needed. Uh, but that had an interesting uh, uh, tangent about colorism, by the way. Anyway... Uh, I did really appreciate uh, Haunt for Jesus, Save Your Soul. It plays like a movie if Christopher Guest was tackling Greenleaf. It might play oh. It might play like Haunt for Jesus, Save Your Soul, which is about this documentary crew following uh, Regina Hall and her husband, played by uh, Sterling K. Brown, who are trying to revive their megachurch after uh, a sex scandal has... Uh, of his involvement has toppled it. And it's mostly from uh, Regina's perspective as his wife. And they're not really clear on what the sex scandal is, but about halfway through the film you learn, oh, he was fucking these young men. Mm. <laughs> Which is also something you don't... It, it's very taboo to talk about, you know, um, gay men in the church, uh, you know, like T.D. Jakes uh, or something like that. Oh. Uh, well, T.D. Jakes is not. It's the other one. I thought there were rumors about T.D. Jakes as well. But um, maybe I'm mistaken. You're, you're thinking of someone else. And, Sorry and to I, this man. Yeah, but I, I'm going to correct... You continue and I'm going to say who but, you But, thinking. you know, or Tyler Perry or any of the... Oh. You know, the <laughs> what? <laughs> okay, anyway. Uh, there's a lot of uh, DL gay men in the church that we all know. You were thinking of Eddie Long. Okay. Yes. Uh, but but be, no 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 judgment uh, but but whatever. Uh, so it's it's basically this really funny um, kind of film where Regina's doing her thing and then all of a sudden it gets really serious um, in ways that I don't know are always entirely successful. But they do have this woman on the side of the road with a sign that says "Honk for Jesus, Save Your Soul," and then they put her in this like white face mime makeup and she's talking about praise mimes. Oh. Um, it's interesting and I recommend it lastly I just wanted to talk because about Sundance because I was in the room I watched two Sundance films with you um, but I was in the room for more than two 
And I have to say, a lot of them seem to have like a similar vibe. I like, and oh, and then I was present for when like the program directors were introducing people. And I kept thinking like, is this a Utah thing where like, oh, the program director announcing the film Alice. And it's like this corny white dude who's talking about like this transform, like formative performance, like his favorite of the film. And I just wonder like, is Sundance known for just like, are these some out of touch Mormon white folks choosing all these movies? And that's why they think these things that are edgy are really kind of corny and ridiculous. I feel Sundance has always felt out of touch, but I think it's, it's, it's because they swing in the opposite way. Like they're so, uh, inclusive that that they almost achieve the opposite effect of what they're going for well speaking of that then i watched that trans documentary framing agnes where oh did you already talk about that no i didn't put on there where it's like it was not my favorites these were my five favorites that's right i watched another sundance uh, selection about where the director took like trans people and had them talk about their experiences after they have like done recreations or dramatizations of of historic trans people, which was so interesting because they all, I don't know, I didn't pay 100% attention, but what really threw me off was they discover like some psychologists or psychiatrists' medical records, Mm -hmm. like some deceased psychiatrist. They pull their medical records and then they're telling the stories of these people they found in the medical records. Mm -hmm. And I just thought that felt so invasive. And then like, they have these actors, like people we recognize from Pose and other things, uh, notable trans people playing these characters. Mm-hmm. And I just thought that seemed, I don't know, that seems so... It, and, and it won like an audience award it did, or something? It did. <laughs> uh, but yeah, that, that's Sundance in a nutshell. Always the competition films, there's rarely something that feels really, um, that blows me away. Rebecca Hall's passing was one of those things and of course went home empty-handed. Oh, what was the one with the big girl who fell in love with the serial killer? Oh, uh, Piggy. That was interesting. That was interesting. That was in the midnight section though. Uh, I find that films in their next section, like You Won't Be Alone, usually are kind of where Sundance is trying to be edgy. But it is, you know, by far my least favorite uh, major film festival uh, I, I don't think they take a lot of chances uh, in any way. You'll notice that a lot of the people, you know, once you're kind of in, it's very political, the process of, of uh, selection amongst the programmers. So, you know, like, th- but there were tons of movies I saw. I saw about 45 movies and it really, it was, I don't know if I could come up with a top 10. Oh, Let wow. me just put it that way. Um, both of Dakota Johnson's movies I didn't really like, including Cha-Cha Real Smooth, which... <laughs> Uh, was directed by Cooper Rafe, and I know you liked his first film, Shithouse. And oh, yes. It, I also watched part of that. It had some nice moments, but it also felt really uh, familiar and kind of basic. And the other Dakota Johnson movie directed by Tig Notaro and her girlfriend, uh, Am I Okay? Oh, I just... Lena Dunham's movie, Sharp Stick. All of these movies just are based on these weird, quirky idiosyncrasies. And, and then I think... Uh, everything else has been also hobbled by, uh, you know, the pandemic. So like these very condensed, you know, two handers or very small casts, like stuck in a room acting out. It it just feels like so much of this was rushed. So people could tell stories in this period. And it's like, well, not a lot of these stories were worth telling. 
ultimately it feels like. Well, let's move on. So Rotterdam. And there include, are two films you watched. Including, I have a couple more that I want to watch, including the film that won the Tiger Award, which is the top award at uh, uh, Rotterdam. Oh, and also I'm waiting to get access to Mabruk El-Mekri's new film. Mabruk directed JCVD, that Jean-Claude Van Damme movie where he plays himself. I saw that in Toronto, didn't I? No, we watched it at home, but it was out of the... No, I saw it and he was there. That was... Uh, oh, that was at the Newport Beach... Film Festival. Film. And, that was, and that was called Welcome to the Jungle. Oh, uh, never mind. <laughs> where Dennis Haysbert also was in attendance. That's um, right. Okay, never mind. No, JCVD. But we did watch it. And then he directed that movie with uh, Sigourney Weaver, Bruce Willis, and Henry Cavill, The Cold Light of Day, which wasn't very good. Mm. Uh, but of course, we went to the only theater playing that in LA in 2012, which was at The Grove, I think. Um, anyhow... Uh, I'm, I'm excited to see his new movie. So I watched, uh, there's this uh, director from Kazakhstan called Adelkin Yurzanov. And I don't know how it's been. He, he works a lot. And I've probably seen five or six of his movies and covered a couple of them. But he had a movie, new movie called The Assault at Rotterdam, which I liked the first three-fourths of it quite a bit. Um, and then this Polish director, Ursula Antoniak, who has also directed five or six films, all of which I've seen but her first, uh, she did a COVID movie called Splendid Isolation about these two women who I believe are lesbians stuck on this island after escaping something. And then a third woman shows up that's supposed to be death and she's come to take one of them, uh, which is interesting per se. And it had like Ingmar Bergman-esque qualities to it. But ultimately, again, as I was just saying, it felt very much like, oh, because of the world right now, this is how this story is going to look <laughs> in playing. Mm. Okay, we need to move on. So, films that were released we didn't cover. The first is The Worst Person in the World. I had really, you know, we had a very busy week uh, dealing with lots of things, but uh, I had hoped we admit would make time to watch this. I covered it at camp. Oh, you know what? We have to come up with phrases we want on our merch, and I think that should be one. What's what? That you wish we would have. That you wish I would have made time to see this. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> There you go. Write that down. Um, uh, yes, but I it was a favorite out of Cannes. Uh, Renata Renz, Renz uh, won Best Actress uh, for her performance. It's a Joachim Trier film. Uh, it was Norwegian. I guess it's, they're, they're now saying it's like the third part of his loosely related Oslo trilogy. Uh, but it's kind of a, a romantic melodrama, but very well told. Great female lead. Anders Danielson Lee is in it, uh, who's a regular in Trier's films. Uh, I think you really would have liked it, but alas, we did not. Next, The Wolf and the Lion. Oh, that's just, that's some film uh, that opened this week that I think is for kids. I'm forgetting what it's about, though. Oh, okay. Well, moving on to movies we watch for fun. There are none, except I watched, I rewatched The Gospel According to Andre. Okay. So since Andre Leon Talley, I've been thinking a lot about him, and I've actually been, like, spending a lot of time in the background watching interviews with him mm -hmm. you know like little other documentaries about him uh i even actually uh started watching the diana vreeland documentary just started started hoping i would get a glimpse of him but i don't know i i am like anti-fashion i don't have great style i don't care about fashion i wouldn't say you're anti-fashion uh i think i don't know that it's an interest but you you know, when you want to look nice, you do. Well, thank you. I don't... Yeah. But I have no connection to fashion. I don't care about 
labels. I don't know anything about labels. In, in fact, the only reason I know about some like fancy things like accessories and you know luxury items is the years I worked in Las Vegas buying those things for people. Mm-hmm. That's the only reason I know a lot about some things. But I have no interest in any of it. So it just surprises me that I feel so like connected to Andre Leon Talley. But I think it's like seeing this big black man from like the segregated South just transcend like his circumstance. Mm-hmm. You know, to get a master's degree in French literature and mm-hmm. to travel the world and to be so cultured and just like listening to him talk is just it kind of reminds me of you in a way, like reference, 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 reference. Mm-hmm. Like he just can't, he can't, it's almost like he can't say enough words to get everything out. Mm-hmm. And just like you, it's grading sometimes, but I think <laughs> over overall, it's quite impressive. And it's like, it almost makes me feel like I ain't shit. Like I don't do enough. I don't read enough. I'm not smart enough, but, but I, I don't know. I just feel like, look, I mean, just... He really is a testament to me. Well, first of all, the documentary, uh, The Gospel According to Andre, I would recommend that I think it's very well it constructed. Yes. Um, and I and I think there are a lot of... He covers... He, he gets pretty honest and covers a lot of mm-hmm. topics. So I think it's a good watch, even if you don't care about fashion or know who this man is. It's impressive to know what he accomplished. But I think just witnessing this person who... He's a testament to... Like... Um, like, you know, like, uh, what's that, that fucking shit everyone talked about after reading the secret, uh, when you make your vision board and you put it out there. Yeah. But what's that word? Everyone <laughs> oh, um, um, sh- that's an I, I think it, it, my brain is freezing, but, but we know what I'm talking about. Manifesting. Manifest starts with an I. Starts with it's an got I. an I in it. Well, it's like two eyes. Well, it's four eyes that you arrange into an M. But um, <laughs> that's a way to look at I it. I feel like he is what manifesting is about. Like, it's not just enough to want things. Mm-hmm. Everyone wants things. Mm-hmm. Everyone wants, like, a certain kind of car and a house or, like, a watch or they want to go to this, eat at these restaurants. Like, people just want things, but that's not enough. Like, you have to actually, like, like create a plan and then put yourself out there. And I think people don't do that. I think people don't like that man, like packed his little 13 pieces of non-matching luggage, as he says, mm-hmm. and flew his black ass to Paris mm-hmm. because he loved French literature and he could speak French and he, nothing was going to stop him. He was not afraid. And I just think that's so, I think Amazing. something that struck me when you were watching an interview with him that felt very familiar is uh, that woman is asking him, because he had to go to the white side of town to buy the fashion magazines as a kid, mm. and experiencing racism and, he, and, and how that felt. And he's like, to be honest, I was my goal was to get to this place I needed to be and get these... He had tunnel vision. I t- and I feel that felt very familiar because yeah. I feel like I've gone and done a lot of things in places yes, that people that people consider dangerous or, or like, weren't you aware that these things happened there? Because it was like, no. There was this there was this place there that I wanted to go to and that's... <laughs> that, that felt very familiar. <clears throat> yeah. Moving on. So projects of interest. Something called... Well, I don't know who Chris McKay is, but Ryan, Ryan Renfield? Renfield! You don't know who Renfield is? No. That's uh, Dracula's right-hand man from the Insane Asylum. 
Oh. Renfield. Uh, so Chris McKay... Okay, so Chris McKay directed one of the worst films last year. Which was? The Tomorrow War. Oh. So, shockingly, he's on an item of interest for me because uh, he's directing, I'm guessing it's a comedy, uh, called Renfield, uh, starring Nicolas Cage as Dracula. Oh, I'd watch that. <laughs> so I think that'll be entertaining no matter what. Uh, Aquafina's also in it, and uh, Shora Agdashlu, uh, who I've met, and I really like her voice and her look and everything about her. But Next, Berlin Nobody, Jordan Scott. <sighs> so, you know, both of Ridley Scott's children direct movies now. Uh, but his daughter is Jordan Scott, and I don't think she's done a film since her debut, which was Cracks back in 2010, which I didn't think was very good, but had Ava Green in this nice Joan Crawford-style performance. Uh, and uh, the new movie, Berlin Nobody, is based on a f- book called Tokyo, which sounds really good. Uh, Eric Bana's in the film... Uh, and it's about a uh, cop to exploring a cult, I think. So, you know, shit that's right up my alley. Um, and, and I wanted to note that uh, Paul Schrader's Master Gardener, starring Sigourney Weaver, began filming this week. Uh, they filled out the cast. They had been trying to get Zendaya, Zendaya uh, and now it's Quintessa, Quintessa Swindell playing Sigourney's niece, who we saw in the film Voyagers. Uh, and Isai Morales has also joined the cast. All right. Moving on to the obituaries, I added a couple. Um, New Year's first. Yeah. So there's Chesley Christ. She was crowned Miss USA in 2019. She committed suicide from jumping from her 60-story apartment building in Manhattan. When was this? Like a week ago. Oh. But she's notable, and I recognize her name because she won Miss USA this, that year where Miss USA, Miss America, and Miss Universe were all, were, black. were all black. That's right. Okay. So, you know, that's sad. I mean, obviously a gorgeous woman who, you know, experienced this thing of winning Miss USA, but obviously had other things going on. So it's sad to think about. Um, and, you know, I... People need help out there. They should go get it. Uh, yes. But uh, but like I always say, if she wanted to jump, I mean, I guess... Oh, you boy. Know, <laughs> I guess she did what she was trying to do. Next is a gentleman named Howard Hesseman. He was an actor best known from WKRP Cincinnati. He was older, like in his 80s, and I think he passed from complications from surgery. Oh. But I recognize him because I liked watching WKRP Cincinnati as a kid mm-hmm. because I liked Lonnie Anderson. <laughs> <laughs> not really? like I had a crush on her, but I just thought she looked really cool. I liked her hair. Sure, of I, liked, I remember thinking her face looks cool. So he's gone. Lastly, someone named Monica Vitti. Someone named Monica Vitti. I don't know her. Oh my God. The face of the Italian new wave. Um, oh, that Monica Vitti. Yes, of course. Go ahead. <laughs> Did you expect me to know who she was? I, would have, I told you days ago that we would be talking about her. I expected that you would have looked her up, but okay. Uh, actually, one of the, the, the secret film I was going to do was uh, La Ventura, but, uh, which is such a great movie, but it's, you know, I mean, I, I don't know that you would have had the patience to watch it right now, but uh, La Ventura uh, kicked off, was one of the films kicked off the Italian New Wave with uh, directed by Michelangelo uh, Antonioni, who did three very notable films with her uh, that are that comprise a sort of a thematic series, including uh, La Clisse and La, Not- La Notte, La- The Night and the Eclipse. Um, 
And also Red Desert. Uh, those are kind of my top four favorites with her, obviously. And then uh, she did do uh, Phantom of Liberty, Phantom of Liberty with uh, Boonwell, which is a film I've been trying to get you to watch for a long time, too. Uh, one film that she did that I do find really hard to get through, and I know it has its cult following, is Modesty Blaze, where she plays the uh, female, the, the lady spy. Uh, that film's a bit hard to get to. But a, a, a definitely a great beauty, a striking uh, film presence. You uh, came up with your top five movies of hers. I already said them. You did? Yeah, the, the three Antonioni's uh, and Red Desert. Well, what are their names? Uh, La Ventura, La Clisse, La Note, uh, Red Desert, and uh, Phantom Liberty's Boonwell. Okay, perfect. All right, so our secret film this week, you said was going to be one of her films, but it was a little too... Uh... I didn't want to watch something depressing this week, so I, I wanted to watch something light and also in support of um, Whoopi Goldberg, <laughs> who's... Uh, Made some skate, who made some comments that were incorrect. Apologized for them and still being suspended uh, from the View, uh, which I'm I'm not prepared to talk about that because I'm not quite sure what she said. She said that uh, the Nazis uh, hating the Jews, the Nazis and the Jewish, uh, the Holocaust was not a race issue. It was along those lines because it's all white people and. And which is incorrect because the Nazis believed they were a superior race and the Jews were an inferior race. And although, you know, you can get into um, some differentiations there, obviously it's different than uh, race issues in the U.S., but it still was a race issue. But she, you know, recanted, apologized, uh, brought somebody on to, uh, you know, kind of shed some light on this. We all make ignorant comments. and sometimes that's how we learn new things. So it's really disappointing to me that they decided to suspend this woman who... that Everybody's talking about how intention doesn't matter anymore. And I, I, I have to disagree. Intention does matter. And her intention was not that. Uh, and when we have these... When we have Fox News and people say all these horrid, terrible things and there are no repercussions, yet we take Whoopi Goldberg off the air for making an incorrect statement that she's apologized for, I just, we're becoming the things that we hate when we do that. And I, I, it's, it, to me, that's fascism. To me, that's censorship. Um, we have to be able to forgive and move on. And I don't believe that she deserved to be punished for that. Anyway, so this film I chose this week was Sister Act 2, Back in the Habit, directed by the great Bill Duke. I haven't seen Sister Act. Which I didn't realize when I put it on. Because when you put it on, I'm like, oh, I haven't seen the first one. I don't know why I'd watch the second one. Uh, the first one, so I've never seen the second one. Um, the first one is better, which uh, was directed by Emil Ardolino, uh, who I think, I think died right before this uh, second one. Or Ardolino is best known for Dirty Dancing. Okay. All right. So... Overall, I thought the movie was kind of whack. The basic story is, the first film, Whoopi's character is like a Vegas like lounge singer who's like in a relationship with a mob boss, and she gets into some trouble, so she has to go into like witness protection, and that's what ends with, uh, that that's when we, where we find her in like this nunnery or whatever. Mm-hmm. I that's what I understand. In San Francisco. Mm-hmm. Okay, so the second movie, Sister Act Two. Whoopi's back in Vegas as a headliner and the nuns come find her because they're like, girl, the school we work in is in trouble. Like these students ain't shit. We don't have a music program. You need to come help. And she agrees to drop her 
headlining Vegas show. That it seems to be a hit based that on seems the audience. To be a hit. Based on audience engagements in the beginning. To go help these nuns but that, for an indefinite amount of time. <laughs> that um, show in the beginning is is stressful. My first note is that opening medley gave me a headache. Like, I was like, Ooh. It almost felt like, you know how you get warnings when there are strobe lights if you have epilepsy? <laughs> yeah. I feel like that opening should have had a warning. Like, this is too much. Like, if, it, if you don't already have epilepsy, this would have given, given it to you. You would have caught epilepsy. But anyway, she agrees to go to the school, and she's the new music teacher. These students ain't shit. The main one is Lauren Hill, mm-hmm. and she it it is so predictable. Oh, it yes. is so pain by numbers. It's almost I mean it is painful almost to watch. But um, she turns these kids around, makes them like create a choir, and then in the background the school is closing because it's not making any money, mm-hmm. and there's nothing. The school has no accomplishments or accolades. That it seems to that the staff is keeping secret from the students and parents, even though it's closing at the end of the semester, and it's it's the only school in the district. So how, like, how are these students and parents supposed to prepare for the impending closure? But of course, this choir gets entered into a competition that they win, and then of course, the archdiocese or whomever controls these Catholic schools says. The school can stay open now that it has some notoriety. It won well. It won this. We got to get ready for the next year choir competition. The end. Okay, so uh, uh, I'm I'm just gonna run through my notes really quickly. I didn't realize like usually we don't see Whoopi later in her career sort of looking more glamorous. Sure, but I thought I, I thought she looked really nice and like she had a little body on her, okay. which normally I don't like to comment on people's bodies because you can't you know but. I, I I was I guess because I'm never I'm not used to seeing her. Sure, but if you body. go if you go back and watch her 80s mid to late 80s work, um, and and her, this is 93, she was beautiful. She well, was, my next note after the epileptic opening medley is it's so refreshing to see natural faces, mm-hmm. especially whoopies. Yes, because she's wearing very very light makeup, mm-hmm. like powder and. Chapstick. Mm-hmm. And she has beautiful skin. Yeah. She she has a nice face. And I just thought, gosh, it's... Like, and her, a range of expression. A range you of... Know? Ex- but not just her. I mean, all of the characters. You know, it's like we see these real faces. All the... the well, yeah, these old white lady nuns. Like Maggie Smith and... Uh, I'm forgetting the lady that plays Mary Lazarus. Uh, Lazarus uh, yeah, that was really... Like, I forget. Because even in other 90s films... Uh, Mary Wicks. You know, these kids, like, they're all overly done. Mm-hmm. But then, of course, a movie revolving around nuns, they are going to be very basic mm-hmm. looking. And so we don't often, even in the 90s, see female characters who just look natural. Mm-hmm. So that stood out to me a lot. Um, oh, my God. There's a scene. So we, we, we know that Whoopi's character is wearing a wig because we see her take the wig off. Mm-hmm. And then there's a scene where Whoopi is sitting on the bed and they, whoever styled this scene, <laughs> made it look like she had just washed her hair. <laughs> and it's just like, people who wear wigs don't wash their wig right. and then put the shit on to dry. <laughs> like, that's not, that's <laughs> it doesn't dry on your head. No. But, I mean, <laughs> but, it's, but there's nuns come to her room and maybe she felt like she... That's what I was thinking. Like, maybe in a rush she threw her wig on. But, but it's just, like, I wish we would see that then. Because otherwise it creates a strange impression. Yes. Um, so then... Whoopi's in this classroom with these badass kids. They don't want to learn. And then she sort of turns them around very quickly. And they they're, they take a field trip to go see the nuns perform in, in like a senior center. Mm-hmm. 
Those nuns singing in the senior center was cringy. I had those kind of goosebumps you get when you want something to end right away, or you have to, like, or when you just want to drop dead for five minutes, or you like. have to, or you have to defecate and there's no bathroom nearby. It was not good. Um, Same with the kids performing the choir, though. Well, that wasn't as bad, but yes, um, Lauren Hill. I, I know this was her breakout, her, her debit. And she's a very talented singer, rapper, songwriter. You know, the miseducation of Lauren Hill is obviously a highly, highly critically acclaimed, mm-hmm. multi-Grammy winning album. So very talented. But I just think in this movie, it's just this girl with like a shitty personality. She's not given the ability... She's not given a character to really play. I'm surprised that she even... I'm surprised... I'm sure Sister Act 2 was a big deal when it came out. Mm -hmm. And that's probably the only reason Lauren Hill got attention. Because if that movie were just like something that dropped, Mm -hmm. Lauren Hill would not get any attention. She did not... Yeah, like you said, she didn't get a chance to shine. Um, Well, we were talking about why they chose her for this role as the standout singer as opposed to... What's her name? So Tanya Blount is one of the um, like students. And I'm very familiar with her because she had some minor r&b hits in the 90s and she has my i prefer like church voices and that's what tanya blunt has so to me she's the better singer but then like you said when we were talking about it lauren hill has a more distinct voice she's a very distinct voice. so and, and she's a beautiful singer so it makes sense to me why they chose her not tanya but um so i don't care for this movie i think the biggest reason is I don't know that I would even classify it as a comedy. There are no jokes. There are I mean, no there jo- are very few jokes. There's no ca- dramatic tension or catharsis. And then there, yes, and then there's no dramatic tension. And then it's like, if it's supposed to be a feel-good movie, I feel like it fails because I'm not invested in these students who are not well-written. I'm not invested in the staff because if you haven't seen the first film, it's almost like this pairing of... The nuns have nothing to they do. They have with this. zero to do because everything they did happened in the first. Yeah, movie. and poor yeah, like Kathy Najimy. Oh, Kathy Najimy just and looks Maggie, crazy. And Maggie Smith, uh, and, and what's her name, uh, Wendy McKenna. Yeah, they're just there to be cutesy. I, I do think Michael Jeter had some fun moments. The little gay uh, priest is that what he's called? Yeah, math teacher, and he's the math. He's teacher. the math. He's really cute, but. Yeah, they're just like I don't know how I classify this. I guess it's a musical because it's not funny. It's not funny. And it's then not it, heartwarming. And then it's like you have Shirley. Shirley Ralph is um, what's her face? Lauren Hill's, Lauren Hill's mom, mother who, does, who doesn't want her to sing because because singing doesn't put money on the table. Singing it's like, doesn't pay the bills. But then it's like <laughs> it's choirs and even extra, her character is not well written. Choirs and extracurricular mom. Like, like I'm just trying to have a fucking hobby, bitch. Jesus. God damn um, it. Yeah, I just... It is fun seeing some of the young kids, like Alana Uback, who um, you know from the film Waiting, who has that memorable dessert-making sequence. Mm-hmm. And she's a favorite of mine in the film Freeway, opposite uh, Reese Witherspoon as a fellow inmate. Uh, Jennifer Love Hewitt. Um, Ryan Toby is uh, Amal, the one who gets to sing uh, that very... I guess, I guess it's considered a notable moment with that high note. Um yeah, it's it's fun seeing some of them, but there, there's really no like flavor to this movie. Um, speaking of Jennifer Love Hewitt and there being no jokes, the one funny line I wrote down is Jennifer Love Hewitt's character is very obsessed about her appearance, and when she finds out they're going to compete in this like choir competition, she's like, "Oh my God, what are we going to wear?" And one of the girls says, "Clothes, Margaret." <laughs> I thought that was funny. Then they have a fundraiser, and we're told that the neighborhood they live in 
is like not the best. And they have this big fundraiser where they're passing out baskets to collect money. And I just thought someone would have stolen those baskets the, also in the, that old raggedy ass neighborhood. The neighborhood didn't seem that raggedy to then, me. Then, okay, these students are not well written. They're very one dimensional. And several students throughout the film, when there's like a turning point where they should like push through mm-hmm. the discomfort and make a better decision, there's, there's like at least four students who make a sensible choice. Like there are at least four students who say, hey, wait guys, like we need to do this for this. And I just kept thinking like all these sensible students and they couldn't get their act together without Hoopy Goldberg. I thought that was just a really poor writing job. Um, So Bill Duke, who has a cameo in this and you're like, oh, it's that guy. I'm like, yeah, he directed this. This was, um, I think people always forget and I I brought, because I've just recently watched a few films he's directed, forget that he was a very talented director. Mm. And this was in his like, the golden era of a lot of black directors getting to uh, direct a lot of really interesting things and not just, you know, uh, quote unquote black films. But he, this was hot off the heels of uh, a, a Rage in Harlem, which I saw recently with Forrest Whitaker and Robin Givens and Gregory Hines. Excellent movie. I highly recommend it. Uh, and Deep Cover with Lawrence Fishburne, which is now part of the Criterion Collection. Also highly recommended. This is right after that in between Hoodlum starring Lawrence Fishburne. So this felt like it should have been... I don't think it was as big of a hit as it should have been for him. And if it had been, it probably would have really assisted his career. Um, the film culminates with this like competition choir performance. And the group does like a 90s hip hop version of Joyful Joyful, which was cringy. Because then we have like rapping. But a highlight was, and I can't believe I didn't know this... Within the performance, they kind of take modern references, mm-hmm. which are supposed to be like early 90s. And they have like a play on Janet Jackson's What Have You Done For Me Lately. So that was a nice surprise. Lastly, I think this film did a poor job of orienting the audience to where it's taking place. Because we kept saying like, where are they supposed to be? And then when we find out they were in San Francisco the entire time, Mm -hmm. I was shocked. Yeah. I thought they were in like Harlem or something. (laughs) The way they're acting. Yeah, I was like, the the San Francisco is... We need to wrap this up, but what would you... Is Potrero Hills in San Francisco? I don't fucking know. Like, isn't that... Oh, my sister went to a school called El Potrero. I think Potrero... That's... uh, Because isn't that supposed to be a... a, uh, not a, an unseemly neighborhood. Like, I don't think San don't Francisco know. really has... But anyway. We need to wrap this up. What would you give this film? Two. I would give it two and a half. So you, uh, Jennifer Lewis is one of the uh, backup, backup singers. Backup dancers in the Vegas show in the very beginning. This reminded me of uh, the styling of this, because I also recently watched Two Sir With Love with Sidney Poitier. It very much reminded me of that. The scene where Kathy Najimy is doing sex education and they're bringing up promiscuity has, like, very watered-down... Um, uh, associations to me with that that part where they burn the the used tampon in Sydney's <laughs> classroom. <laughs> okay. Well. Anyway. Yeah. I wouldn't watch it again. But no. There, and, but, and, but there you go. Sister Act. Joyful but, noise and pitch perfect. It feels very much like all of those. Yeah. Okay. Final topic because I heard someone talking about this, um, and I thought it'd be interesting to ask you. Mm. How do you feel about giving? I don't know the current proper word for homeless people. Unhoused. Unhoused. I would just say bums, but I know I'm not supposed That's to. not the proper term. <laughs> I think homeless is nicer than that. Or um, How do you feel or what, what, what is your protocol? Hobo, hobo camp. What are you, yeah, what is your protocol when a hobo asks you for money? I say, uh, I, sorry, I don't have any, which is usually true. I don't carry cash. 
But if I did, I wouldn't give it to him. Okay. <laughs> I mean, just because if I do that, I they would uh, be giving away a lot of money where we live. But <laughs> I think that's my thought. Like, if I give one person money, I'd have to give every person money, and then living in Los Angeles, like I, I mean, would have no money have with I, every person who asked for it. Have I given money to people before? Yes. Um, I have never given money. Oh, I have a couple times, but uh, I just increasingly, it's I just very politely try to acknowledge that I'm being approached. Because another human is approaching me. You but, are very good at like acknowledging when someone asks you. I don't. Because I feel like, and you know how I feel. I feel like it's so disrespectful. Like if I'm taught, you know how people just approach you. Like, but, and, and, they, and they don't say, excuse me. They don't like, it's just like, give me a dollar. Do you have any money? And it's like, it's, you're asking every person. It's disrespectful, but I don't think, we're talking about Maslow's hierarchy of needs. And they are not at the level of respecting that I'm in the middle of a conversation, it's like they have a need and that need is overriding, you know, social etiquette. So, well, this might be controversial, but I feel like I don't believe most people who approach me are in dire need because the fact that some people may be houseless, unhoused or like, I don't know people's situation, but I don't believe, you know, in the neighborhood, like we live in LA and now we live in a new neighborhood, but our previous neighborhood that we lived in for several years it's like I would see the same people in the same sure. corner. Sure, some, some, for some people, it, it, it definitely is a racket. And you see like documentaries and, and exposés on how some people do that. But that to me, that's none of my business. And I, I'm not going to be... I don't want to be bothered to the effect of them ruining my day or even my moment. So I, I just, don't respond to people because if they say, do you have spare change? I'm not going to lie and say no. Because I do have money. I always carry cash. So I just don't respond. Because I don't think you deserve... It's just like how people accost you at the grocery store. Like, do you care about, like, childhood hunger? Or do you care about... And it's like, don't do that to me. To me, those are more awkward. Because then I have to I have to make a statement of, like, I do, but I'm busy, right? <laughs> yeah, I don't like that. Like, you know, I, I, I just don't like being accosted. And then it's like, if I tell you... It's just a numbers game. Like, if I tell you no, you're going to ask the next person behind sure, you. Sure, sure. And if you were really in need... Because here's the final thought in the last one minute... If I were truly in need, if I found myself like someone stole, you know, I carry a bag with all my things in it. If someone stole my bag and I had no phone, no money, no wallet, no keys, and I was like 50 miles away, the first thing I would do is ask someone to help me call the police. And I would ask a police officer for help. Sure. That's what I would do. Sure. but I would say, excuse me, someone stole my wallet. I don't know how to call my husband to get a ride home. Can you help me? Sure. So I just don't understand why people think like, it's not my responsibility to it's, it's not, pay for you to get gas. What's the, everyone's racket is like, I need 39 cents for gas or whatever. Like, sure, no. sure. But, but at the end of the day, like whether or not that person is being truthful or honest or actually in need, one, I'm most likely not going to help them, but it is, it's, it's a human that has asked me a question, so I will respond. I respect that and, approach, and, yes. And that is, that is about it. Uh, but, you know, again, that's not, to me, a hard set rule. Like, no, I'll never give anyone money again. Like, everything is context and, and uh, what I'm reading from a situation and not like I'm all, all knowing and all wise, but, you know, generally I don't. So that's that. Okay, well, do you have anything to say before I end this audio? I was going to read uh, you Lady Lazarus in entirety by Sylvia Plath, but we don't have time for me to properly do that in 45 seconds. So Darn. Anything else? <laughs> Damn. You're going to read an entire poem? It's a good poem. I don't know. Oh, no. Thank you. Bye. <laughs>